Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. And we are coming to you from a very rainy Sioux City, Iowa it's today. It's a little drizzly out there. It is, but spring rains, that's good, right? It is, it is. It's good for agriculture. It's good. To, it's a sign that winter is moving beyond us. You know, when I when I studied Spanish in Guatemala, uh, the comment was made, because it, it's kind of tropical there a little bit, close to the equator, so it rains almost every single day, but it's very light. And I think... It's actually probably Father Matthew Salinches who was there with me, who referenced like in the Midwest, you don't often get just like light rain. It's like we don't carry around umbrellas like they do in London because right. if it's going to rain, it's like windy and blowing and like awful and you're not walking around very much in that. So. Sure. Part of that might be because we're in the open plains, right? <laughs> and, oh, yeah, sure. And the storms just come in <laughs> off the Rockies and whoom. <laughs> not a lot of wind breaks. No, not so much. Yeah. Not so much. But we, we praise God for... The great moisture for an agricultural That's world. Right. This One, is great. This is actually like the best story of using that word. People hate that word. Are you aware of that? What's that? You just used a very controversial word, moisture. Oh, that's, I know. That's one of those weird internet phenomena. I know. But people I'm hate that, that word. People hate it because it's an internet thing. Could I don't be. Think they, anyways, one time I was in a, a small, tiny, tiny parish in our diocese at a daily mass with like five people there, I think including me and the priest. And the priest opened it up at petitions, which is always just such a risky move. When you just do like the, the free for all petitions, sure. And this one was it was risky because it was super awkward because nobody said anything, so it's just quiet. I think one lady prayed for the unborn, Lord hear our prayer, okay. And then it's really quiet, and then one lady in the very back of the church just says, "Praise God for the moisture," and then just doesn't say doesn't say we pray to the Lord. So then it's like just awkward silence, and then Lord hear our prayer. It became a joke in the college seminary that I was at conception, and one of the guys said. You know, when you wake up at 3 a.m. and it's the middle of August, you can't sleep because you're sweating so much. Praise God for the moisture. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it became like the, the, the tagline anytime you just <laughs> praise God for the moisture. Yeah. That's what we're going to remember. Come come the middle of July, <laughs> air conditioners out. Praise God for it, you know? Yeah. Or praise as Jack Waters would say, I'm moister than an oyster right oh, now. Gross. He said that all the time on our pilgrimage throughout Rome in some wow. very hot days. That's why we're never having Jack Waters on this podcast. <laughs> Jack Waters, if you're listening, we still love you. We really do. We do. But, we do. That's yeah. Cool. And we also need to give a shout out to all of our listeners at 88.1 Catholic Radio yeah, here absolutely. throughout Siouxland. Um, we're getting ready um, in a few weeks. We're, we've got their... Um, pledge drive. Yeah, their big pledge drive that we're going to be participating in. And we know that these episodes are also airing on 88.1. So a shout out to all those listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Absolutely. Father, what's new these days? What have you been up to? Oh, all sorts of fun stuff in life of the parish and school priest. Mm -hmm. um, one fun thing, a couple weeks ago, my high school alma mater, Newell Fonda Mustangs, the girls, were in another uh, state basketball championship. This, actually, the same as last year. They played Garrigan, the okay. Golden Bears from Algona. That's right. And Father, Heisley, Father Paul Isley, in, he's a retired priest living in Lamar, so I hang out with sometimes. He was the first graduating class of Bishop Garrigan okay. in Algona and then became, I think, the principal or president later. 
So he asked me after the 4 p.m. mass on Saturday, hey, you want to watch my alma mater beat your alma mater in the state championship game? Those are fighting words. They're fighting words. And I wish I was more cued into it. I was paying attention to our sports at the school, so I was paying attention more to the boys' uh, basketball as our boys were kind of moving on through the through the playoffs. I didn't realize that the girls were, were in the in the Of your alma mater, not oh, your current alma, assignment. alma mater, right, yeah. yeah. And this this sounds probably like pretty pretentious, but like they're so good, these mm. girls' basketball. And like I think we went to state and might have been in the state championship at least three of the four years I was in high school. Wow, and since that's the quite last a dynasty. Years, the t- last 10 years, they've got all sorts of championships. I think they said this was like their eighth or ninth title in 10 years or something like that. Wow, Ty- good for them. Game. Anyways, incredible. So turns out my alma mater won, beat Father Isley's. Ooh. So it was fun to have a little little priestly rivalry there in Did town. you rub that in, Father, in good no, charity? I tried to be very, very charitable the whole oh, time. You okay. Know? And I was even kind of rooting him on, like, they can do it, they can do it. And Way to take the high road. They couldn't do it. So we'll find a Mustangs crushing it yet again. So. But we, we congratulate... The uh, Golden Bears oh, of Bishop Garrigan on a fantastic two, two season. A row, two years in a row, absolutely. Yeah, good for Hold them. On. I forgot which one is the applause button. Don't worry so about it. I'm just going <laughs> to... Nope, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Sorry, I just... <laughs> nope, that's not the go, one. You need to go up one. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Father Crowder needs to work on the sound effects soundboard here a little bit more I here at Outcast Catholic. Here yeah. at the studio. That's going to be your homework tonight. That's right. Well, congratulations to that wonderful team. Um, Father... Father. Speaking of teams, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about today um, many teenagers, young adults, middle-aged adults, a lot of people who feel like maybe they're on a team that isn't exactly, from an earthly perspective, really thriving or striving and conquering, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the practice of their faith. Mm. You know, we, we can look around... Um, we can look around our churches during the pandemic that are, you know, partially filled and people might look around like, is this it going forward or are people going to come back? Yep. But even, even, uh, I talk to young adults and teenagers all the time who are just like, I am regularly practicing the faith on Sundays and I look around and I don't see my generation there. Right. You know, like how many churches across the United States are we going to really need someday if young people really aren't going to worship the Lord? And I think that can kind of create a psychological little um, insecurity in a lot of people just saying, am I just signing up for a losing team? You know, am am I showing up to a sinking ship here every day? Yep. Um, And as we've talked about in other episodes, there's all kinds of things that need to be addressed as the church continues to improve in her evangelization efforts, right? All of us, ourselves included, we can always step up our game when it comes to preaching better. Mm-hmm. You know, social media outreach can be better. Young adult ministry can be better. The way parishes are run. The way parishes are right. run. The way dioceses are structured. You know, there, there could be huge improvements that will continue to unfold throughout the 21st century. And there's nothing wrong with doing like a performance improvement plan. Right. However, we can also recognize that sometimes there's just things that are outside of our control. You know, uh, think of communities across the United States in which maybe like the main factory shuts down. Yep. And all of a sudden, like the over a ten to fifteen year period, the town might lose half of its population just because the jobs aren't there anymore. Right. That can really decimate the understanding of parish life very quickly. Uh, not only is the population there not there just to kind of give a sense of vitality through numbers, but the this the the contribute uh, contribution of gifts and talents there 
in that community suddenly is altered dramatically. Yeah, or you saw that in the kind of flight out of the inner cities that happened through the kind of 70s and 80s that like right. as interstates were built and it cut off neighborhoods so then this parish was kind of in like a little island in the midst of an inner city and then it just kind of dries up. Right. Yeah. And if you find yourself still living in a place like that or like us in the Midwest when your town that was built on the agriculture of, you know, like 30 farming families or something like that. And now one family takes care of most of that land. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of people, whether in urban areas or more rural communities who can experience something like this in which life just suddenly gets drastically altered and it might be out of your control. And, and there, and there also might be just little things that are out of, out of your control. Like maybe you've asked the pastor to change a few things in your parish and for whatever reason he has discerned that that's not going to work. Or um, maybe you just feel like you're trying to change things and get new ideas into your parish council, and you're just like beating your head against the wall, right. and no one wants to do things outside of the way that things have always been done. Sometimes uh, I think, Father, when these things are outside of our control, you can look around and just feel like you're kind of fighting a losing battle. And I think for some of our listeners out there, especially among young adults, there can be a sense of just humiliation. Yeah. You know, like, where's the hope in my parish? Where's the light that's coming? Um, Where is even, like, the hope in Christianity as, like, secular culture just, just like, kind of trugs along right? Um, without showing any sign of slowing down? And not only are, does it not seem to be slowing down, it just seems to be thriving. Yeah. You know, of course, social media and Hollywood and... and uh, you know, print media or electronic media can make, you know, secularism look glamorous at all times, right? Right. There's an underbelly to that that doesn't always get shown publicly. But it it just seems to be, you know, gaining speed at all times with, you know, some some wonderful earthly fruits that seem to be just very prevalent, you know. So I want to lean into this to those who just feel like, um, wow, am am I just part of the losing team? Is this a sinking ship that I'm going down with? And is there anyone to save me a life raft or, you know, or throw right. me something, you know, a life preserver or something? Um, what comes to mind for me is some of the great saints who have really had to deal with humiliation. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the stories that comes to mind is St. Louis de Montfort, one of the late 17th, early 18th century French clergy. You know, the, the tradition holds that he was um, working with a group of peasants that worked daily without payment um, for a long time to build kind of this beautiful monument of Calvary um, on Pontchateau, just kind of this, this very strategic location in the Brittany area that to say that we can build a, a monument and a testimonial to our faith here, and it could be a, a sense of devotion, a place for prayer. Mm. And just as the project was being completed, um, there were some people working against him who convinced the government that this could be a, a source of rebellion and retaliation against government officials. Right. And so literally at the same time that it was being completed, um, there was this order from the king to have it destroyed mm. after they had built this. And then, you know, from that time there was back and forth, back and forth as to being rebuilt or destroyed or the statues were moved out and things kind of went back and forth. But St. Louis de Montfort had this beautiful detachment from what could be considered a great earthly success. And he just kind of said, well, praise God. Hmm. You know, we have, we have honored the Lord to the best of our ability in constructing this. And if it's beyond our control, can't do anything about it. 
and if, if, the, if the forces working against us are going to prevail at least today, mm-hmm. we'll praise God. And not only was there a beautiful detachment from kind of worldly success or, or earthly um, Ambition. ambitions or measures of achievement, I think there was also a sense in Louis de Montfort to say, well, Jesus, you know, had some difficult days. Yeah. Jesus was literally paraded throughout the streets in, a, in the most humiliating of fashions, being treated like a criminal, literally going to his capital punishment death march. Mm. And as Pope Francis has told us, there is really no humility without some moments of humiliation. Right. Right. We can't expect to be perfect Christians and yet always look glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work when our King and our Lord was humiliated. Right. Right. Mm. How close are you to actually following in the footsteps of Jesus? I'm not saying you have to go out and make yourself look like a buffoon or a clown every single day. But when there's particularly things that are outside of your control and when the world wants to mock you, when the world doesn't perceive you um, as having value or worth, or when you get yourself psyched out just saying, we need success, we need measurable results, I need you know, demonstrable things that are going to show that I'm a big deal and that I'm a success. Well, when that's not possible, is the Lord just inviting you to kind of accept the crown of humility, the crown of humiliation, and to just walk with him saying, okay, praise mm. God, mm. I'm still with him, um, I'm, I'm walking with him. We are in a, an abiding relationship as I handle these things that are beyond my control with and through him. Now, those are some like really great thoughts. Kind of even hard for me to hear as like a brand new priest because there is that youthful idealism of like, no, like we got to be moving forward. We got to be doing things. But as you were speaking, the apostles just came to mind. Um, those apostles' feast days are always just so glorious because mm-hmm. they lived the Christian life in that first generation with such authenticity. It's like they had the most humiliation possible, especially when Paul's talking about, like I forget which book it or which letter it is when he just like lists like all the terrible things mm-hmm. that happened to him. It's mm-hmm. like not eating, not sleeping, shipwrecked three times, stoned a couple times, like all this terrible stuff. But yet the joy that they're able to even communicate through the word of scripture is just incredible. And to consider these these men and the women who accompanied him as these first uh, band of disciples, they were, they were with Jesus in his humiliation, but they were also with him in his glory. And the way they were able to receive that is, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, it's, you know, like join the club. We got jackets for that. You know, it's kinda, that's kind of the idea. But they accepted that humiliation with, with this joy. And then St. Paul's able to say, like, in my weakness, then I'm strong. Right. Um, the other thing that, I think, too, um, I've thought about it before, maybe a little bit more of like an excited, let's rebuild kind of idea. But Pope Benedict spoke about the convinced minority of of Christians and how growth in the church always happens through that convinced minority Mm -hmm. of a shrinking, and then from that comes comes growth. Right. But I think, and sometimes when we look at church history, we look at it in like century, you know, gaps, and Mm -hmm. we just flip a page in a book, and it's like, oh, 300 years later or something. But to think about the day-to-day life of those Christians all over the world as they experience those humbling moments, but like moments of real humiliation in the midst of a culture that rejected them. Mm-hmm. They were still convinced as a minority that would eventually grow, but that didn't happen like overnight. And sometimes it took like hundreds of years to get to that point. And the humiliation that they experienced 
is perceived from the worldly perspective, right? Yeah, right, right. I mean, when they were drawing closer to God, when they were actually feeling divine strength and courage and perseverance to stay with the Lord in the midst of those trials, well, yes, from an earthly perspective, they were being humiliated. But from a divine perspective in the interior of their prayer lives, they might have felt more alive and on fire than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the martyrs did in those final moments when, when they were absolutely able to give the fullness testimony and witness to Christ. I mean, they, they probably felt more alive at the moment of their death, right. paradoxically, right. than, than is, is ever probably conceivable. So huh. the, the humiliation comes from a worldly perspective to say, oh, you ridiculous followers of Jesus, you know, yeah. you Catholics, you got so much scandal going on in the church, you know. Uh, in Midwest cultures, you've got a declining population. How are you ever going to rebound? Right. Okay, well, that's perceived from a worldly perspective. That's not perceived from the divine perspective that still might be building up great saints in the midst of all of those challenges. Mm -hmm. You know? I'm thinking of the opportunity to know a couple of uh, Carmels, of Carmelite nuns. Mm -hmm. In particular, this interesting opportunity we had in Denver. Uh, We actually had this, uh, our our, uh, year of seminary, our class, had this canonical sort of allowance to break the cloister, to enter the cloister, to do a bunch of renovations outside and to take down trees and stuff at this Carmel in Denver that needed a lot of repairs over time. When you hear Carmelite saints talk about the spiritual life, it, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like these soaring, this like reflections and meditations on the love of love of Christ and just how he's like a part of their life. Carmels are not extravagant. I mean, like some monasteries of, of Europe have been, but like these Carmels I've been to in the U.S., like, they're they're simple mm-hmm. and, and they're and they're beautiful, but like absolutely nothing to write home about. Mm-hmm. And even some monasteries can be really like profound, like and beautiful. And it's like, wow, this is incredible. It looks like Hogwarts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not these caramels that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like they would be the last place you'd want to spend the rest of your life locked inside, right? Behind a, a grate, you know. And sometimes they can be a little outdated or like feel a little dumpy. But like, okay, only in the world sense, right? Because when you talk to these these women who who allow themselves to be humiliated by the world and actually choose that, mm-hmm. like a really clear humiliation, um, they experience way more joy than I do most time, most right. days. Right. So I think it's important, you know, when we encourage one another, I don't want this to sound too depressing. Like, go humiliate yourself out in public and you'll be holy. We don't want it to sound like that. Not at all. No. Excellent job with the sound Thank effects, you. I was Father. Really just cued in on that one. You were ready to go. Ready to go. So yeah, we don't want to sound like Debbie Downer here. Like this is just supposed to be depressing because that's not actually the case. Um, I think what's what's most important is is recognizing that when there are things outside of our control, what still is within our control is communion with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to the reign of terror after the French Revolution in which tens of thousands of, of priests and religious were exiled, martyred, um, you know, whole, whole monasteries were evacuated. Dioceses and parishes were bombed out or destroyed in World mm-hmm. War I and World War II across Europe. And that had to be incredibly humiliating. Uh, you know, the Catholic lifestyle that these people enjoyed, the rhythm of prayer, the economic life that, that gave dignity to human, you know, culture, all of that could have just been suddenly wiped out as it was throughout history. Deeply, deeply humiliating. And so for these things that are outside of our control, yes, we can always improve on certain things. There's, there's, we can honestly, honestly do evaluations of things that just aren't working well. Mm-hmm. And there are best practices that we can always turn to, right? Yeah. 
But beyond that, for the things that are outside of our control, rather than letting us get ourselves depressed from an earthly perspective of not being successful or bearing tons of marketable results, where is the deeper communion in, in sharing the crown of humiliation with our Lord, which in and of itself might set you on fire for the, in the long haul, that then might animate your parish or your local church in the diocese. So I just want to offer that as a word of encouragement to all of our listeners. Um, and maybe just conclude here with a quote from St. Bernard of Clairvaux, one of the great preachers of the French tradition, who said, Great graces cannot be obtained without humility. When you yourself experience humiliation, you should take it as a sure sign that some great grace is in store. You know, God always blesses those who walk kind of the humble path with him. Those who are walking on the path to Calvary, uh, stay with Jesus and do not let yourself get overly burdened with an earthly perspective of what is humiliating uh, because that might just be the Lord about to unleash some wonderful graces in your life. Yeah, just to leave with an image, stations of the cross in those 14 stations, three of them is Jesus on the ground, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the ground in, in humiliation, right? After but falling. After falling, right? Yeah. Three of those is when he's in the dirt. So just remember that that's, I mean, we can join Jesus in that spot. Well, and even uh, you could add a fourth one to that as he's nailed to the cross. Right. You know, he literally sat on his royal throne mm. on his back being pinned to wood, right? Right, right. Pretty humiliating for the king of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he was about to unleash in handing over his, his whole divine and human life for the salvation of the world, uh, cosmically redeeming everything, uh, there's a lot of great soaring upwardness that comes with Easter glory from the humiliation. Absolutely. So stay, stay tuned, everybody. We'll keep unpacking these themes. And uh, if you're walking kind of that difficult road of Calvary on, with team humiliation, uh, don't give up with the Lord and stay united to him. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.